What kind of a show are you guys putting on here today? You're not interested in art? No. Now look, we're going to do this thing. We're going to have a conversation. From Chicago, this is Film Spotting. I'm Josh Larson. And I'm Adam Kimbanar. Did you get your passport? Peter Parker here to pick up a passport, please. Mini toothpaste? Mm-hmm. Pack your suit. I just want to go on my trip with my friends. Europe doesn't really need a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. So is this the Spider-Man where Peter Parker accidentally backs the family truckster into Stonehenge? A European vacation reference. (laughs) I like it. Oldie but a goodie. There you go. That clip from the Spider-Man Far From Home trailer, which comes to theaters 4th of July weekend. Spider-Man in Europe. Jake Gyllenhaal is Mysterio, Josh. This week on the show, we'll have our 2019 movie preview. We've got our top five questions about the year ahead in cinema. So question number one, Spidey wasn't actually vaporized by Thanos? I guess not. I'm so confused. We'll have all that plus our reactions to the Oscar nominations ahead on Film Spotting. Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome to Film Spotting. We're recording this the day after the Oscar nominations were announced. We will share our thoughts on those nominations a little bit later in the show. Josh, do you have a pithy single sentence take on the Oscar noms? Any voting body that nominates Hale County this morning, this evening. There you go. I can't be too hard on. Okay, so there are some positives and there are definitely some negatives. And I'm sure we will cover those. It's been over a month since we were together in the studio. We had our top 10 Movies of the Year Roundtable, Michael Phillips and Tasha Robinson joining us for that. And then we had them return for our live rap party at the Logan Center for the Arts. So we're just getting back to kind of standard operating procedure here at Film Spotting, hitting the reset button on a new year. We've got a couple of fun things planned for the year. We'll talk about those a little bit later in the show as well. But first, we are going to jump right in to the 2019 preview. We've been doing it in this new format for, it seems like three or four years now. Yeah, sounds right. Our top five questions about the movie year. And we may also get to the five movies we're just overall most excited about, but we are going to dive in with the questions, Josh, and I can't wait to hear your number five. First off, overall, are you looking forward to this year when you did this exercise? Because 2018, so many people have talked about being a mm. really stellar year, at least among the last maybe five or 10. Are you hopeful? Well, of course, I'm always hopeful, though I do feel like when I had to come up with those five that were just my straight most anticipated, it seemed like a pretty dull list. And I don't mean that the movies necessarily are dull, but I guess I felt like they were pretty obvious and kind of cliche choices. The questions actually give us a chance to kind of touch on some of those other titles that maybe aren't the films we're overall most excited about, but we are most curious about. All right, let's do it then. My number five question is, will zombies be as good for Jim Jarmusch as vampires? So little is known about The Dead Don't Die, aside from the fact that it is a zombie comedy, I believe, from Jarmusch, and it stars Adam Driver, Bill Murray, Chloe Sevigny, Tilda Swinton, Steve Buscemi, and Selena Gomez. Now, personally, I didn't need to hear anything more than Bill Murray to be in. 
This may seem strange coming from Jarmusch, but then you have to remember that nothing seems strange coming from Jarmusch. And what's more, yes, he's already dabbled in vampires with only lovers left alive. That had Tilda Swinton and Tom Hiddleston. It made my 2014 top 10. Very good movie. So I, I just like Jarmusch in general. I really like him in this mode, I guess, if you can say he goes into this mode. I, I think you could also describe only lovers left alive as maybe more of a melancholy drama with laughs than the comedy this is early on being billed as. So we'll see what happens. But I'm up for it. The Dead Don't Die only has, as I think a handful of films we're probably going to highlight, just a 2019 release date. For some reason, there aren't as many specific release dates for some of these most anticipated films, but it is targeted for 2019. I hope it comes sooner rather than later. Yeah, I hope so as well. It sounds great. My number five movie question of the year is which movie about industry disruptors playing on industry disrupting platform Netflix will be better? High Flying Bird or Velvet Buzzsaw. So a couple of films here that do have specific dates. In fact, they're coming up here in just a couple of weeks on Netflix. Their release dates are a week apart. So We'll start with Velvet Buzzsaw, which is the one coming out February 1st. This is the reteaming of the Nightcrawler duo, Dan Gilroy as writer-director with his star Jake Gyllenhaal. Also, Rene Russo, who was in Nightcrawler, is back for this. And the rest of the ensemble includes one of your favorite performers of 2018 and really one of our favorite performers of any year, Tony Collette, David Diggs, who was so great in Blind Spotting last year. And hey, you can't go wrong with John Malkovich. When you watch the trailer for Velvet Buzzsaw, which is a movie that is set in, according to the description, the contemporary art world scene of L.A., it seems almost light and comedic in tone. And Nightcrawler, I feel like at the beginning, maybe had a few moments like that. But then just like Nightcrawler, it gets really dark. And there is definitely a thriller element to it where the characters discover paintings by a dead man that everyone goes crazy for in the art world and then maybe literally starts going crazy looking at them. So... Really intrigued by that. Again, February 1, it comes out, and I'm sure we will get to spend at least a few minutes on it here on the show. But pairing that with the new one from one of my favorite directors, Steven Soderbergh, and the world here is that of pro basketball. Andre Holland is the star. He plays a sports agent, and he is caught in this showdown between the league and the players, obviously representing one of the players in this scenario. I mentioned the industry portion of this, and industry disrupting Velvet's a movie about the collision of creativity and commerce, or at least that seems to be a component of the film. That conflict is here, too. Only the art is the game of basketball. And we have another reteaming, Josh. So so successful before on the movie Moonlight, Barry Jenkins' Oscar-winning film. Terrell Alvin McCraney, the playwright who wrote the story that Jenkins based the screenplay on, he wrote the script for High Flying Bird and Andre Holland, of course, so good as the friend Kevin in Moonlight. If you watch the trailer for this one, it looks so slick, like you would expect from Soderbergh, and the subject matter just seems to be so in his wheelhouse. I was thinking about him in relation to a current Oscar nominee, Yorgos Lanthimos, where he makes these movies that are set in exclusive but kind of expansive worlds. Dogtooth, Lobster, The Favorite. They're about the rules and the etiquette and the way people communicate and the conflicts that erupt within these kind of sealed universes. Soderbergh's focus is similar, I think, in a lot of films, but wider. You look at the girlfriend experience in this world of call girls for hire and traffic about the drug industry, side effects, pharmaceuticals, unsane even from last year, healthcare practices for profit. 
he's really into and really good at kind of dissecting those storylines and all the maneuvering and seeing how all those larger puzzle pieces come together. And it feels like High Flying Bird might do something similar. So really excited about that. That comes out the following week, February 8th, again, both on Netflix. What you saw yesterday was just the beginning. Oh, man, this is getting crazy. Of what could be a whole new industry. He's up to something. You did all that? You know the lead with a black ball. You scared? We don't need the lead. We are disruptors. It's your game now. You were born for way more than this. Don't let them fool you. So I take it you didn't make a New Year's resolution, uh, no cheats, oh. in, in top fives for 2019? I think a you few didn't... of my questions have six titles oh, in them. Gracious. So buckle up. Nothing's changed. I'm going to try to answer your question. Um, I love me some NBA. I would say more often than not, I'm a fan of Soderbergh. Not as big as you. Yes. But uh, I'm going to go with Velvet Buzzsaw as being – Just based on the descriptions? Yeah, the descriptions and and the players. And I've been waiting for Jillian Hall Gilroy reteaming for a while since Nightcrawler. So that sounds really exciting. I think they might be able to nail it. We will see soon enough. All right. My number four question. Can Pedro Almodovar's Pain and Glory – possibly be as good as Michael Bay's Pain and Gain. We all remember, Adam, the greatness <laughs> oh my. of 2013's Pain and Why are you Gain. even connecting them? Please tell me there's let's something not, more than the word let's pain. Let's not forget. Well, it, there's the ampersand. I mean, really, that put it over the top for me. I was like, yeah, this will sell. This will sell. <laughs> I am dismissing this entire top <laughs> no, five list. Pain and Gain, Bay's, let's, let's admit it, probably unknowing display of hilarious self-satire. Yeah, here's another connection. There's something meta going on with Almodovar's Pain and Glory. The IMDb plot description says it's about a film director reflecting on the choices he's made in life as past and present come crashing down around him. So Almodovar has, of course, directly reflected on the art of filmmaking and other movies, something he returns to. This isn't exactly brand new territory, but this time he's exploring it with perhaps his greatest collaborator, Penelope Cruz. He also has another familiar star on board, especially from his early films, Antonio Banderas. So chances are this will be as good as Pain and Gain. This being Almodovar, Adam, it could be. It also could be as good as Fellini's Eight and a Half. So we'll just... What you didn't you didn't expect Fellini, I mean, Almodovar, and no. Bay to be no mentioned? In that the should same be pick? illegal. <laughs> well, it should be illegal to it mention. It just that. happened. Too bad. Pain and Glory opens in Spain in March, so I'm hoping that means we'll get it sometime after that. Yeah, I've got an answer to that question. What's Anything Almodovar go does, out, go I don't out care. On I don't care what it's called, <laughs> is going to be better than that Michael Bay film. Okay, my number four question of 2019 in movies is. What will the world's greatest living actor, sorry, Daniel Day-Lewis, do with Joker? I didn't see Adam Jared Leto's Suicide Squad. Michael Fassbender listens to this show. <laughs> I know. And if I had to redo my vote from Film Spotting Madness, what year was that, 2016? I think maybe, so. I would give it to Phoenix. Wow. Yeah, absolutely give oh. it to Phoenix. In fact, I really, if I did, if Iconic I did, shift I had to, in the right? film spotting landscape. I had to vote for Fassbender, and really, I'm I'm a little bit embarrassed. As much as I still hold him in high regard, it's Joaquin Phoenix. And again, I didn't see Jared Leto's Suicide Squad. I probably never will. That performance in Suicide Squad. And between Nicholson and Heath Ledger, I feel like I've got enough Joker to tide me over for another decade or yeah, so. Probably. Now, am I a little bit curious about the fact that De Niro appears in this one and Zazie Beetz, who actually is also a co-star in High Flying Bird. Yeah. So I'm excited about seeing her again. She was so good in Deadpool 2 last year. So I'm glad she's involved. And 
I guess there's a little part of me that's a little bit curious about this movie's billing as not being within the DC films universe. I don't really know what that means other than is that then a license for it to be actually good or is it, is it just then a case where the expectation is that it's less comic booky? And then I don't even know what that really means either. There is, it seems a potential interesting parallel to a film. I love from Almost the exact same time this movie set. It's set in 1981. And in 1982, Martin Scorsese's The King of Comedy came out. Joker is about a failed stand-up comic who's driven insane, and he becomes a psychopathic criminal mastermind. And that's kind of what happens. Take out the mastermind part. That's kind of what happens to Rupert Pupkin. Really take out the mastermind part. (laughs) In, In The King of Comedy. And in this film, Joker, De Niro plays a talk show host, which is what he becomes essentially, or what he he wants to become, certainly in his dreams, in The King of Comedy. And apparently, if I read this right, Martin Scorsese was involved with the development of Joker working with Todd Phillips. So maybe there is some kind of weird symbiosis going on between The King of Comedy and The Joker. But really, the only reason I am going to see this film and that we'll probably talk about it is Phoenix wondering what concoction of dread and desperation and mischief and madness will he conjure to make this Joker unique from other Jokers, but also from other scary misfits that he has played before. I'm not doubting him. I'm not doubting him in the slightest. I do think he is the greatest actor we have right now in cinema. And that's enough to bring me to Joker. What do you think? I'm intrigued only because of Phoenix. I'm with you. That that's the the one reason I would feel like I have room in my life for another Joker. There's something brazen and bold about it. That there was something brazen and bold about Heath Ledger taking on that role, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that's how we all felt, and then he did something entirely different that worked. Um, I don't know if we felt that way about Leto's performance. I did see Suicide Squad and uh, didn't need it. So this time, yeah, I'm intrigued. I'll go check this out because of Phoenix. October 4th is when we'll find out the answer to my number four question of the movie year. We have a few more questions about the movies of 2019 coming up in just a bit. Plus, we're going to rant and rave about the Oscar nominations, or maybe we'll actually (laughs) have a few nice things to say. And after being cut, cruelly cut from the program at our live rap party, Massacre Theater gets to take the stage. Stay with us. I hate it when dudes try to chase me. But I love it when you try to save me Cause I'm just a lady I love it when we play 1950 It's so cold that your stay's about to kill me I'm surprised when you kiss me So tell me why my guys look like you Tell me why it's wrong So away This episode of Film Spotting is brought to you by the generosity of Film Spotting listeners, including platinum level donors Matt in Oakland. 
Listener since the Cinecast days, but let my old payments lapse too long. The Golden Brick and your support for new filmmakers is the reason I keep listening. Darcy in Burwood, Victoria, Australia. What a fantastic and inspiring show you put together. I've been listening for around three years now, and your work keeps me connected to an analytical approach to film. I'm about to head into my first feature this year. Your show inspires. Good luck, Darcy. Nicole in Shoreline, Washington. A long overdue donation to one of my favorite podcasts ever. Corinne and Jeff Samuels contributing to, they say, a fabulous production. We'll take it. Thank you very much, guys. And Stephen Miller from San Francisco paying the dealer, as they say. Thank you so much, Stephen, Nicole, Corinne, Jeff, Darcy, Matt, and all of our listeners who donated over the past month. We will get to a few more thank yous later in the show. And finally, here are the films selected as Best Picture nominees. Black Panther, Kevin Feige, producer. Black Klansman, Sean McKittrick, Jason Blum, Raymond Mansfield, Jordan Peele, and Spike Lee, producers. Maybe, Josh, we could stop there with the good news about this year's Oscar nominations. They were announced earlier this week. Some of the big storylines, I think, obviously, you look at Roma, 10 nominations for that film, along with The Favorite. They're the two leading the pack, and we are quite high on both of those films. So, the Academy, great job. I still can't wait for everybody's grandma who goes to see The Favorite I now, know. thinking it's going to be this uptight, pretty little costume drama yeah. and coming out dizzy. Yeah, that's exactly what's going to happen. I think Michael even referenced that at the mm-hmm. rap party, his right? Mother, that his mother went well, to see we it. We don't know her experience. They're not talking about it. <laughs> not talking about it. I hope they talk again at some point. Other storylines that I think we're definitely on board with here, the first timers. It was one of those surprises to learn that Spike Lee who's won an honorary Oscar, but who has never actually been nominated for Best Director before. Ridiculous. He is now for Black Klansman, a film we both quite enjoyed. Sam Elliott and Richard E. Grant, Best Supporting Actor nominees for A Star is Born and for Can You Ever Forgive Me, respectively. I'm okay with both of those. We're okay with both of those. Mm -hmm. Glad to see Sam Elliott getting that love at this point in his career. And how about Paul Schrader? Overall, we've got some disappointments surrounding First Reform. Sure. But Schrader did get a Best Original Screenplay nomination and it's his first. Yeah. It's his first. You know, this is the one that I thought it would get. I, I thought Ethan Hawke, obviously, who we were both rooting for, had a chance as well. But this was kind of the sure thing, I thought, for First Reform. So I'm glad at least that happened. Yeah, me too. It's also the first time a superhero movie has been nominated for Best Picture, obviously that being Black Panther. And even though that film didn't make either of our top tens, right? Michael's no, the only one who had it in his top ten. He did. But we're fans of the film. We're big fans of the film. And I'm quite okay with that one getting into the top eight there. Documentary-wise, obviously overjoyed to see Film Spotting Golden Brick winner. Pretty cool. <laughs> Minding the Gap get a nomination. This isn't the first time, but it's maybe only the second time. I want to say The Act of Killing, yeah, the only other right. film that we've given the Golden Brick to, also got an Oscar nomination. But it does now beg the question, do we have to abandon the golden bricks do they not do they no. not apply anymore because it, means, it can't be overlooked if it has an oscar nomination can I think it? it means we did our job there you go i, I think we take credit for the nomination sure of course we will. and as i mentioned at the top another documentary nominee that was on my top 10 list hale county this morning this evening one that was very very low under the radar film from 2018 that i know a few critics including myself really went for but a lot of people didn't talk about so to see that Get on the Academy's radar is hugely encouraging. Now, Won't You Be My Neighbor, surprisingly, did not get a nomination. And unfortunately, I have seen RBG, the documentary about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It's fine. It's 
it's not even half the documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor, is. So that was disappointing for me to see that that got in ahead of it. It's really perplexing because Won't You Be My Neighbor, which I, I loved, but mostly I would say for emotional rather than aesthetic reasons. Hmm, and yeah. I, I often feel like emotional reasons carry the day more with Oscar voters. So the fact that that didn't get nominated, I, I thought it would be a surefire thing. Me but too. What are you going to do? I was pleasantly surprised as well to see The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, my number six, number five or six movie of the year, got three nominations. It got a screenplay nod. It got one for costume as well as song. And I guess those all three make sense. I might have nominated it for more awards than that, but that's where the Academy went. And that screenplay one is a little bit curious. And I don't think I would have even thought of it if it wasn't for a listener on Twitter. Andrew Debus, I think is his name. He said, I'm confused by the Buster Scruggs nomination. Does it count as an adaptation if the screenplay is based on unpublished short stories written by the adapter himself? And it's funny because this has kind of come up before with the Coen brothers, right? With Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Where they gave it a adapted screenplay nomination, I think, because they said it was based on Homer, which it is. Right. It's obviously based on the Odyssey. That sounds right. To say it's an adaptation of the Odyssey, I believe that was a storyline at the time. And here with the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, I look back at my ballot for the Chicago Film Critics Association. It was on for original screenplay. And I had it in my top five candidates there. I do think, and I'm going strictly from memory, I apologize if I have this wrong, but I asked at one point if anyone knew who the inspiration was for these mm-hmm. stories because they they really reeked of me of the short stories of Louis L'Amour, which I yeah, read as a but kid. But I don't think that's it. I but looked it up. There was someone else who, someone I thought replied and said one of the stories or maybe two of the stories were based on a different, not L'Amour, but that's a different it. Western that's writer. It. So if I'm recalling what I saw correctly, I think... The one with our friend Tom Waits, All Gold Canyon, supposedly based on Jack London. And then I don't remember the author, but the gal who got rattled, one of the Zoe Kazan, is one that was also maybe adapted from something that was previously published. So there you go. Adam Driver for Black Klansman. We both really like that film. And as I think about that performance, I maybe underrated it. I'm really happy that he got a nomination. But the big one. We already touched on it. The big snub, obviously, here for us and for a lot of people is Ethan Hawke. Yeah. How does it happen that with all the acclaim and all the attention he's gotten rightfully for First Reform, he got overlooked here, Josh? You know, the curious thing about this one is that they saw the film because they did nominate it for screenplay, as we talked about. So sometimes you wonder, did they just not bother to watch it? But clearly they did watch it. And if you watched it, how you cannot at least put Hawk in the nominee list is beyond me. I don't get it. I don't get it at all. And you look at who they do have here. I can't say much about it. One thing these nominations have made me realize is I'm now going to have to watch a lot of films that a lot of people thought were pretty crappy. Yeah, you're going to have to watch some bad movies, and Josh. So I know which at, ones you haven't look seen. Look at these nominees. I haven't seen Vice, Christian Bale. I haven't seen Bohemian Rhapsody, Rami Malek. I haven't seen Green Book, Viggo Mortensen. And I haven't seen At Eternity's Gate. Willem Dafoe, Bradley Cooper. Now that one I'm excited about. Okay. Well, I want to see that Van Gogh film, Julian Schnabel and Willem Dafoe. It it sounds the most enticing than any of the others based only on what I've heard. And Bradley Cooper in A Star is Born. I mean, 
I think it works. I still think the voice is not going to wear well huh. as the years go on, um, but I wouldn't say he's bad. By no means is he better than Hawk, Lakeith Stanfield in Sorry to Bother You, Stefan James in If Beale Street Could Talk, no. or Brady Jandro in The Rider. No, he's not. These are all better Preach performances. It. John David Preach Washington, it, if they're getting on the Black Klansman train, yeah. throw in John David yeah, Washington. I, I think he was better than Adam Driver. Charlie Plummer, Lean on Pete. Let's get crazy. How about Zama, Daniel Jimenez, Cacho, who we all praised in our top you. 10 show. Those were way better performances than Bradley Cooper, who was fine. Who was fine. In fact, I would say he was better than fine, but you're right. I put all of those ahead of him, and Hawk would absolutely be in that top five mix. So that was troubling. Now, you mentioned Stephon James, and if Beale Street could talk, of course, I'm happy that my favorite film of the year got its well-deserved nomination for Best Original Score, Nicholas Bertel. We've talked about that a lot here on Film Spotting in recent weeks. Best Supporting Actress going to Regina King and Best Adapted Screenplay. Obviously, I feel like it deserved many more, especially when you look at some of the other films that got Academy love. Vice getting eight nominations is really disappointing. And you know, I'm the guy who had the big short, Adam McKay's The Big Short, as my number one film of the year. It was number, it I forgot out. it was number no, one. It was my I, number knew you, one. I knew you really liked it. And there are a lot of the same sort of techniques and tone being applied to Vice, but I think this film was an absolute mess. There is something impressive and bizarre and fascinating about what Christian Bale is doing by embodying Dick Cheney the way he does. But the best way I've tried to articulate it to people who I talk to about this film is that in the big short, you sensed that anger that was kind of just underneath oh, the surface sure. yeah. of Adam McKay. And, and I felt it too. And a lot of viewers did. And I'm glad that he was tapping into it. And I feel like with a vice, it's a case where the anger overtook everything. Mm -hmm. And as much of a monster as Dick Cheney may or may not, in fact, be, the movie wants to put at his feet all the evils of about the past 30 years. And that's a conversation I'm willing to have separate from this show. But as a film, it does not cohere in a way that is ever satisfying intellectually, emotionally, and not comedically. There are a couple laughs in it, but it goes for a lot of laughs that it doesn't connect on at all. I am more curious to see what Vice is all about as opposed to something like Green Book or yes. even Bohemian Raps. Definitely so watch I, it ahead I, of those two. Yeah, I do. I do want to see it. But, but what's your theory then on why it, it's not only been acknowledged, but so roundly? Is, is it purely that that anger is resonating with voters and they're going to reward it for acknowledging that they share the anger? In other words, is it simply political or is there more to it? I, I just don't know. Having I not think seen it just it. feels like an important film. It okay. feels important because it's based on a real life. We mm -hmm. know how much the Academy is drawn to those stories. Bale sure. is doing Bale things. Yeah. Amy Adams and Sam Rockwell both got rewarded with nominations as well. It just feels like an important film. And that's all it does is feel that way. And also it feels edgy because of some of the chances it's taking, some of the meta elements and the way it jumps around in time. It does take some chances. So I get that it maybe feels like a bigger, more profound film than I ultimately think it is, even okay. though I applaud some of the, the thinking and the anger that drives it. Shoplifters, the film from Hirokazu Koreeda, was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film. That was nice to see. Unfortunately, on the flip side, Burning, Lee Chang Dong's wonderful film was overlooked. And really, Josh, if I'm being honest, my biggest disappointment of the Oscar nominations might just be the fact that, and you mentioned how you have some homework to do now, 
I now have to consider whether or not I'm going to be able to make time for all three hours and nine minutes of Never Look Away. Two nominations. Fill me in on Never Look Away. Never Look Away. Apparently adapted from, inspired by the life of the famous contemporary, still living German painter Gerhard Richter. And that's all I know about it other than it was directed by Florian Henkel von Donnersmark. Who yes. I believe was the director behind the lives of others. That's right. Yep. And Sounded familiar. a few other films as okay. well, but that that's was his, his big film. It was very promising until I saw the running time. Yeah, that's, it's not going to happen. Let's just say, let's be honest Probably with listeners. Not, it's not, not going to happen. What else stood out to you? <laughs> All right. So I was really happy with the best actress nominations. I got to say, Yelizia. Aparicio Mm -hmm. from Roma. I came out of that screening of all the things you could come away from Roma thinking for me was if she was not acknowledged, it would be going against everything that movie was about, essentially. And and so I'm so glad that they actually gave that nomination to her. Olivia Coleman in The Favorite, I think Mm -hmm. of all the good performances in that film, hers was the best. And Melissa McCarthy, can you ever forgive me, Adam, on your top 10 list? I'm so good there doing what I love. comedian performance going a little bit little a little bit more straight a little bit more dramatic but still having retaining what is essential to her comedic personality in that performance yeah. now i do wish glenn close for the wife or lady gaga for a star is born had been replaced by tony collette maybe in hereditary Catherine hahn private life how about regina hall and support the girls mm-hmm. those would have been my preferences but three of these i'm really yeah really i would have supported about. all of those alternatives and i like lady gaga's performance and i like she's glenn really close. good in unfortunately it. glenn close is hampered by a really mediocre film in The Wife. It was with relief that I saw that my number one movie of the year, Isle of Dogs, did get a Best Animated Feature Film nomination just because I thought they'd want to just walk right past that one. So glad to see it in the mix, even though it won't likely win. Alexandra Desplat also nominated for his score for that film. Maybe my favorite one, a smaller category, but so excited to see that Ruth Carter was nominated for costume design for Black Panther because that's, you know, the the costumes in superhero films are so crucial to establishing identity, mm-hmm. right? That's that's what they're essentially there to do. And I think that you doubled down on that with Black Panther, which to one degree was mostly about establishing a unique identity in the genre. So that was rewarding. And plus those, those costumes were absolutely killer. You mentioned the Spike Lee nomination for directing Black Klansman. To see Black Klansman among those Best Picture nominees, mm-hmm. I love as well because I thought yeah. that one – I thought so when you just try to think of the hive mind of the Oscars, once they announced Black Panther, I thought that's really cool. That, that's really interesting, really cool. And then part of me was also like, well, Black Klansman is out because that's the more difficult one, mm-hmm. right? If they're looking to make that that little gesture towards diversity and inclusivity – once they put Black Panther in, I thought, well, there's no way they're going to go towards the much more troubling Black Klansman to see that that is in the mix as well. I would love, 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 even though I had something like Roma higher on my top 10 list for Black Klansman to steal this when the awards come around. I mean, that would be incredible. Wouldn't it's it? not going to happen. And it'll be even more <sighs> troubling know. when something like Green Book beats it out. Hopefully that <sighs> won't happen. Now, we can't dive into that too much because as you said you haven't seen either green Green book or bohemian rhapsody and there has been a lot of gnashing of teeth among film twitter and in other film circles and i wish that i could contradict that and not just be someone parroting what others are saying but neither of those movies are particularly good you've heard my thoughts on bohemian rhapsody on a previous episode green book we're probably never really going to devote much time to but 
I'm not a fan of that film at all. And I know this is too small of a sample size because I did not go back and look at all the recent Best Picture nominees. But I was thinking about last year in particular and the quality of nominations. I remember sitting here on the show this very episode we did a year ago Mm -hmm. reacting and going, man, they did a good job this time. I can't complain too much because looking back, obviously – We disagreed strongly about three billboards, but you look at the nominees. There were nine last year. I had four of them in my top 10, three billboards, Lady Bird, Get Out and Dunkirk. And I had three others that could have been in my top 10. They were in my 11 through 20 Phantom Thread. I still regret screwing up and not rating that higher. Call Me By Your Name and the eventual winner, The Shape of Water. There were two movies that I didn't love that got nominations, and those were The Post and The Darkest Hour, which seemed to me just kind of boring prestige pictures. Yeah, Post but they is were both better than that, but a little better. I think I liked it less than you, but at least they were both fine. <laughs> and Green Book and Bohemian Rhapsody are not fine. Even something like Green Book, I see people not defending it, but they'll defend it over some other movies and say, well, at least it's competently made. Actually, I don't think Green Book is all that competently made, certainly not on the level of The Post or The Darkest Hour. And a lot of the problems people have with Green Book, some of the things that are, quote unquote, problematic about its depiction of this friendship between Viggo Mortensen and Mahershala Ali and the way it just handles race in general. Those problems are there, but they're also there partly because of a weak screenplay and some poor direction. And if those things were a little bit better, I think everything about the film would have been handled a little bit better. Well, to speak to the w- weirdness of this Best Picture nominee list is most years I would say there's one, maybe, maybe two titles that I haven't even seen that get nominated. For sure, there's one. There's one out of left field. And this year, there's three. There's Bohemian Rhapsody, Green Book, and Vice. And I don't think I am that out of it. I mean, we're not full-time professional working film critics to the degree that we have to see everything that's released. Yeah, we don't the see year. 250 films like Michael. But exactly. But we see as many as we can and we see the ones that are we prioritize the ones that are being talked about positively in admiring tones that seem to be respected that you would think would be honored at the end of the year. So the fact that this list includes three that I haven't seen at all and you got to haphazardly at yeah, the end of the year just in the, at the rush, end of the year. Um, it's something weird is going on this year in the best picture race. Well, if you have any thoughts on the Oscars and our takes on the nominees, we of course, encourage your feedback. You can email us feedback at filmspotting.net. The Oscars telecast is Sunday, February 24th. We do have something planned for this year, a new kind of segment. Well, an old new segment, just different packaging, but it's essentially a sacred cow series that we're going to do. And it's all going to kick off next week. We know we're late getting to this. You just have to bear with us as we're diving back into the normal swing of things and glass the new film from M night Shyamalan, the third part of this trilogy with Unbreakable and Split is out now in theaters. We will finally get to it on our next show, and we're going to pair it with The Sixth Sense. But more than that, The Sixth Sense is going to be the first film in our 9 from 99 series. And this was an idea I had actually, Josh, inspired by the top five we did, if not last year, the year before maybe, where we did our top five movie years. And we both had 1999 in our top five Mm -hmm. movie years. A lot of people look back on 99 and say it should be in that conversation as one of the best ever. And as we are now celebrating the 20th anniversary of the films of 1999, why not 
spend some time revisiting those movies. And we did what we usually do kind of collectively between me, you and Sam, our producer. We threw out the titles, started with maybe 50 or 60 and kind of categorized them based on the ones we were most eager to see again and discuss. And we're leaving some out that I'd absolutely love to talk about. A good example would be being John Malkovich, but it's not fitting into this nine from 99 series because when we thought about it, we really wanted to pick the nine movies that we felt like we needed to wrestle with that really needed to be revisited mm-hmm. and reevaluated in 2019. And we have our list. Hopefully listeners will be on board with our picks and join us for this look back on 99. Should we give them all the titles? Let's do it. All right. That way you can kind of play along with us here. But as Adam said, we're going to start with the sixth sense. That'll be on next week's show. And then we're going to move on. I don't know. Will they be specifically in this order or are these just, I think it is in this order. Okay. We're going to try. We're going to try to either pair them with a movie like glass that's coming out mm-hmm. that relates, or we're going to tie it back to the month that was released in 99. Makes sense. So then next would be the matrix. After that, yes, Star Wars <laughs> Episode 1. I can't wait. Is it Phantom Menace or The Phantom Menace? I should know You this. should know. I'm going to say The. Yeah. Adam made my top so 10. All those made people, my top 10 in 1999. Just get ready. All those people who have, over the years, heard a few of our differing takes and thought, you know what? I think I'm coming around to Team Josh. Now I get to get them all back on my side. <laughs> oh, no. I can't wait. Oh, no. People are really going to enjoy oh, yeah. watching The Phantom Menace. <laughs> Trust me. We're also going to include Toy Story 2. We'll pair that, obviously, with Toy Story 4. And then this will be fun as well, The Blair Witch Project. I think that's a good one that speaks to what you're saying. Let's revisit it and right. see. It was a phenomenon. It was a phenomenon. It did something brand new, in a sense, that a lot of movies have copied. Was it just new or was it doing something really Well, we'll talk about that when we hit the Blair Witch Project, Eyes Wide Shut. That was another one that was on my top 10 of 99, the Stanley Kubrick film. Fight Club, of course, we have to talk about Fight Club. Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia. And then, yes, this one. I'm, I'm dreading this because I disliked it in 99, but it was the Best Picture winner in the year 2000, American Beauty. You disliked it. I I didn't know that. Strongly disliked American Beauty. I'm pretty sure I loved it. Did you? Oh, yeah. This will be interesting yeah. then. What if Can't we, wait. What if we swap? What if we switch? It could happen. <laughs> I don't it think could so. happen. I don't think this is the right order. I don't think we're going to end this series with American Beauty. It's going to come up before that. But we do plan to post this entire list on a page devoted to 9 for 99, including the show we did where we talked about our love for that year. And we will include links to some other articles that talk about the great year that 99 was as we are talking this very moment, Josh, that page doesn't exist, but by the time people hear this, you will probably be able to find it at filmspotting.net. We're very excited about this series and hopefully you will be as well. All right. We're going to get to Massacre Theater, but first I want to give a quick note of thanks to listener Jason Kinchin. He had me out last weekend to speak at his church in Winchester, Massachusetts, almost maddeningly picturesque Winchester, Massachusetts, especially with the snow all around Adam and the small homey downtown area. I mean, it was beautiful. Getting out of Massachusetts? Yeah. Not the weather. Qu- not quite so fun. Didn't cooperate the with The show you. almost didn't happen because it took me a few days longer to get out than I had anticipated. But a great time with Jason and the group there. We had a really good discussion. Uh, he invited me to come out and talk about the book. Adam, did you spend um, the, the break, the time off we've had reading my book? Uh-huh. You did? Uh-huh. Oh. You'll have to... 
Tell Am I me, on the record? Tell me what you thought about. Do you remember what it's called? Are we taping? Is this live? What was the title of that book, Adam? <laughs> Movies are prayers. Good. Movies are prayers. All right. I expect your I homework. I only read the page where my name is on it. Yeah. I haven't gotten past that one, so. Uh, I think that's page two. So a little work to do. Anyways, thank you very much, Jason. It was a great time. Really good discussion with the people out there. And uh, yeah, hope to see you again soon, maybe in the summer. Hey, if you want to book Josh Larson for a movies, he comes out our prayers tour in all sorts of weather. He will. Obviously, <laughs> you can reach him at comments at LarsonOnFilm.com or just email us at feedback at filmspotting.net. Let's go ahead and get to Massacre Theater, the part of the show, of course, where we perform a scene and you get a chance to win a film spotting T-shirt. We were planning to do Massacre Theater live on stage at the rap party a few weeks ago, and we did just run out of time. Josh I'm still sad Josh about this. Thought he did not believe me when I was turning to him while the show is going on. I think a clip was playing and I'm like, Josh, we're going to have to cut it. You, you thought I was conning you. You thought I just wanted to oh, get it out of the script. Yeah. I, well, I did know we were running out of time. My idea was let's just cut scenes of the year. Yeah, exactly. That's how <laughs> committed you were theater. to this performance. I've told only a couple film spotting listeners about it who I've met with recently. I've said, this is what you told you them missed, the scene and the but we're not otherwise going to tell the world because we're going to do that scene at some point. Yeah, it might be it. next year's rap party after all the rehearsing we did. <laughs> exactly. I mean, we did do some setup on stage and all the chairs and it was all for not. But we did announce the winner at that live show. And you heard us doing Spider-Man 2, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2 with Tobey Maguire and Alfred Molina. Sam actually working our voices yes. into the film. And we watched that with a stunned audience I think at they were stunned. the Logan Center for the Arts. What is happening here exactly? That seemed to be the look on most people's faces. <laughs> Hopefully the listening audience got a little bit more out of it. Our winner, Andrew Howell, Lake Oswego, Oregon, was very excited to hear his name called at the rap party. He actually wrote to us and said, I wanted to come to the show, but I had work meetings. I had to travel to in LA, so I was unable to make it. I will definitely make a live show in the future. That would have been pretty crazy if we'd announced him as the winner live from Oregon. And he actually been there in the audience. It didn't work out this time, but Andrew, we do look forward to that. And we do thank everybody again who came out. We had such a good time and seeing not only all the new faces, meeting people for the first time before the show and after meeting some familiar faces who have been to other film spotting events and those people who did travel. Nobody from Oregon, but as you heard, we had people from Boston and people from Texas and people from Cincinnati. And that was very rewarding for us. So thanks for making that such a special night. You are that dreamboat guy that never came along. You are the one night stand that they get to have tonight with you on stage and not get in trouble because you, baby, you made it legal. You are the liberation. Own it. We move on to this week's edition of Massacre Theater. This one's a pretty deep cut. I don't think anyone would exactly label this film a classic. I would Even though, no, you wouldn't, even <laughs> though sure. I did quite like this film. So that's a little bit of a hint. It's a movie that was reviewed on Film Spotting, and we disagreed about it. We'll give you a couple more hints, though I don't know how helpful they will be. It ties in with our 2019 movie preview. We'll yes. give you that connection. Yes. The director of this film also has a film coming out in 2019. And an even deeper cut here, this may be helpful to only the people who came out to one of our first live shows. Yes. The first or second rap party we yes. ever did, you might just recognize, if not this bit of dialogue, 
<laughs> some of the performance. I have, let's just say, the bit of performance yes, that was at did. that rap party in my head that I feel like I'm competing with, and I don't have you a can't. shot. No, I do not have a shot. For one thing, I don't have the costuming. <laughs> you don't. All right, let's but give it a try. Anyway. Try it anyway, Josh. You started off. I'm going to give you the action. Are you ready? Yes. And action. Morning. Who are you? My name's Alan. My real name's Al, but truth be told, I ain't from this planet, y'all. Alan? That's what they call me. Why are you here? I saw y'all in there. You look like nice people. Thought maybe I'd bail you out. Everyone could use a little bailing out once in a while. Why? Why not? Come on, y'all. Why are you acting suspicious? Get in. Where are we going? We can go where y'all want. You got the right idea. Come on. I'll be your chauffeur. You're going to be our chauffeur? Yeah. You can all play Beyonce. And, and scene. scene. I think I kind of grew into it. You grew into it. I think you were creepier. You coming with me? Than Sam was. No. I am just, not. You just gave I gave away a little clip. bit of a hint. All right. We just got to get out of here. If you we know do. what film we just massacred, email the movie's title along with your name and location to feedback at filmspotting.net. Deadline. Is Monday, February 4. And no, the character's name isn't really Alan. We had to adjust it just a little bit there to make it tougher. The winner will be selected randomly from all the correct entries and announced in a couple of weeks. We were scum. Trash. Refuse that didn't fit into the system. Until someone had the bright idea of recycling us to serve science. We don't have a new poll question this week, but we do have some poll results we need to get to. You just heard Robert Pattinson in the trailer for High Life, the new film from director Claire Denis. And this will help us transition, Josh, back into our 2019 movie preview. We asked you several weeks ago what your most anticipated original non-sequel film of 2019 was. We're always doing something to complicate these. We had to make it just a little bit more intriguing, and that allowed us to omit some of the more obvious titles, shall we say. We gave you these options, and these are in order of release date. Jordan Peele's Us, it comes out March 22nd. We did include High Life from Claire Denis, which comes out April 12th. James Gray's Ad Astra, starring Ruth Nega and Tommy Lee Jones, along with Brad Pitt, that opens May 24th. Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is released on August 9th, and we also included Ryan Johnson's Knives Out, which comes out November 27th. If you didn't like those options, you could write in your own candidate. A few people chose other. It did come in last place, however, with 3% of the vote. James Gray's Ad Astra followed that with 5% of the vote. Then Denise High Life received 10%. Ryan Johnson's Knives Out received 20%. Jordan Peele's Us came in second place with 23% of the vote, but a decisive win here for Tarantino and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It received 40% of the vote. Zach in Chicago wrote in, I decided I was done with Tarantino. I don't trust him anymore in the Me Too era, and the Hateful Eight suggested that artistically, he's starting to recycle himself. But then I became obsessed with Karina Longworth's You Must Remember This podcast and her amazing season devoted to Charles Manson's Hollywood. It's true. If you haven't heard that season, drop what you're doing and listen to it. Now that I feel I know some of the real-life characters, I understand why Tarantino wanted to make an homage to this era. And despite my reservations about him personally, I can't help but be intrigued. Doug Dickinson chimed in, said, I'm excited for all of the films included in the poll. Already saw High Life at TIFF and loved it, but I went with Other. 
there are a few movies I could single out, such as Corrieda's English-language debut, The Truth, starring Juliette Binoche, Catherine Deneuve, and Ethan Hawke, or either of the Soderbergh movies on the way. Instead, I'm going with Jim Jarmusch's horror comedy, The Dead Don't Die, a Jarmusch zombie movie with a cast that includes Adam Driver, Bill Murray, Chloe Sevigny, Tilda Swinton, and Steve Buscemi? Yeah. I can't wait for that. Doug, obviously in agreement with you there. Josh, Lindsay Schultz writes, while I always love a good Tarantino film, and I'm very excited for Jordan Peele's next project, I am probably most looking forward to the much-awaited follow-up film. Oh, Josh, this is so tantalizing to you, isn't it? From Beasts of the Southern Wild director Ben Zeitlin. Lindsay is stealing my thunder. I had a feeling. Maybe we'll just stop there. It's Wendy, an adaptation of Peter Pan. She absolutely loved Beasts, and it helped spark my recent passion for film. Darren said in the last decade, Martin Scorsese has made a 17th century period piece about Portuguese priests, a modern satire about corporate greed, a children's movie about the birth of cinema, and a 1950s set gothic noir thriller about an isolated hospital for the criminally insane, not to mention a handful of documentaries about classic rock musicians. I'd love to see what this guy can do with a gangster movie, so I'm voting other for The Irishman. The Irishman comes to Netflix and theaters, too, probably sometime in 2019. Finally, Shoshana Rosenbaum writes in, As a fan of artsy, dark science fiction and horror, I'm eagerly anticipating both High Life and Us. But you know what I'm actually most excited about? Something I don't think I've ever seen before. A big mainstream comedy that is not only about and starring black women, but even more importantly, from a black female writer-director, that's Tina Gordon-Chisholm, and black producers. I laughed out loud multiple times during the trailer for Little, and as an unabashed fan of age slot movies like Big, 13 Going on 30, and Freaky Friday, I can't wait to see Regina Hall, Issa Rae, and Marseille Martin in action. That comes to theaters April 12th. Do we have multiple listeners maybe stealing some of your thunder here, Josh? Possibly. Okay. We will find out if that's the case as we get back into our 2019 movie preview. Next, we have our top three questions of the movie year. Stay with us. Here she comes. You better watch your step. She's gonna break your heart in two. It's true. It's not hard to realize. Look into her false colored eyes She builds you up just to bring you down What a clown Cause everybody knows What she does to please She's such a little tease You see the way she walks And even when she talks Let's get to those thank yous, Josh, as they've been building up over the holidays. We didn't have those normal shows, so we didn't have our normal donation segment. And we had so many generous listeners we want to highlight here, including from Parts Unknown, unfortunately, Michael, Sarah, and Susan P., Andrea in San Antonio, Virginia, Tolani, and our friends from the In Session Film Podcast. Thank you all for your support. We also have some new Silver Club donors. Chris always bet on Beige Roberts. That's his Sam Van Halgren nickname. He's in St. Louis and says, love the show. You've opened my eyes to so many films over the years. Also, Nathan in Wayland, Massachusetts, Donna in London, David in Evanston, Illinois, and Eric in University Place, Washington. 
I was first introduced to film spotting while in line at the TCM Film Festival, and you quickly became part of my Sunday morning ritual, listening while doing the crossword. Now that I am relocating back to Oregon, film spotting has become the soundtrack to my weekly three-hour commute from South Puget Sound. And during our drives, I realized that I needed to support your wonderful program as a small way to say thank you for the entertainment, education, and company. I enjoyed the first part of your top tens tonight, and we'll look forward to part two on next week's drive. Some of my favorite films of the year being Can You Ever Forgive Me, What an Unexpected Jewel of a Film, Roma, Black Klansman, another surprise, Widows, and Lean on Pete. Willie Vlauten is an Oregon treasure, and the movie does his novel justice. And I should plug the lovely little film We the Animals. As good a year as 2018 has been, there haven't been any films that had the impacts and staying power as my favorites from last year, A Ghost Story, Dawson City, Frozen Time, and The Florida Project, for which I have you to thank for the recommendation, The Last Scene Still Haunts Me. Keep up the good work, and I look forward to more entertainment, education, and company in the new year. Thank you so much for that note, Eric, and for sticking with the show. New Bucka Show donors, $1 for every week of the year. Ben R. from Parts Unknown and Doug in Palo Alto, California. A new $5 a month donation comes to us from Mary in Chicago, who we did meet up with at the rap party, Josh. I've been a film spotting fan since the days of Cinecast, and I wish I could donate to equal the thousands of hours of movie discussion and entertainment the podcast and live shows. See you in January. Yes, we did. Mary has and continues to provide. I just started a new job and to celebrate the return of income, this felt like the right thing to do. Congratulations on that, Mary, and thank you. Finally, we have some gold-level donors. Patrick Tierney in Louisville, Kentucky. Lisa S. in L.A., who said thanks for another great year and wished us Merry Christmas. Thank you, Lisa. Wendy in San Francisco. And two more from Parts Unknown, Brig and Tyler. I hope we got all of you in. If we missed you, you donated recently in December or in January and you didn't hear your name and you'd like to, we'd love to give you credit for that. Go ahead, shoot us a note, feedback at filmspotting.net. And just a final Big, big thank you to everyone who makes this show possible. How did you go from this to this? You went to bed grown and then you woke up little. That's for white people because black people don't have the time. Welcome back to Film Spotting. You just heard some of Little, which is going to come up in my number three question about the movie year. This question is via Andy Mitchell, our production assistant, stealing Andy's good work here. He asked, should we trust that Regina Hall makes smart choices and knows how to make questionable premises sparkle? See also Girls Trip and support the girls. So Hall does star in Little. It's another variation on the age-old premise about a grown-up who gets stuck in a kid's body. She's a conceited businesswoman who wakes up as her younger self. Do we really need another one of these? I don't know that I would have said yes, though maybe one reason that's the answer is because of Hall. Judging from the trailer, though, the real attraction might be Issa Rae of HBO's Insecure, who plays Hall's assistant, and Marseille Martin as her younger self. Both of them Got a lot of laughs from me in that trailer, and they also seem to have a great chemistry together. So, yes, Andy, I think we should trust Regina Hall, who really should have been one of the five best actress Oscar nominees for Support the Girls. Yeah. But what are you going to do? Move ahead. It's a new year. Little opens April 12th. Yeah, we didn't get a vote. No. And we may never get a vote. <laughs> I don't expect sadly. to ever. <laughs> I do like that pick. And maybe we should just devote an entire marathon to age swap movies. What do you think? No. Okay, moving on. My number three question of the movie year is, the Hawkesants will resume most resoundingly with which film? If you recall my interview with the great Ethan Hawke earlier this year, he was on to discuss his movie that he directed, Blaze, a very good film. And I mentioned that 
we're going to get more great stuff from him. It just keeps coming. If you look at his IMDb page, and I think I mentioned two or three of the titles that jumped out, you're going to hear those again as well. But a couple more have been added, Josh. He's got right now five movies slated to come out in 2019. So I'm going to give you just a little bit of information about all of them. And we're going to try to answer this question together. I have my answer. We'll see if you agree. In March, scheduled anyway, Adopt a Highway. He plays an ex-felon who discovers a live baby left in a dumpster. Written and directed by Logan Marshall Green, the actor who was most recently in Upgrade, also in Prometheus, among other movies. In April, supposed to play at Tribeca, Stockholm. This is the strange story of the infamous 1973 hostage crisis in Stockholm. If you look at IMDb, it suggests he might play a double role, or at least he has an alias. Robert Boudreaux is the director of this film. That's who directed Hawk in Born to be Blue, the Chet Baker story that I loved from a few years ago. Numi Rapace and Mark Strong are also in that. Tonight at Noon. It's completed, but there's no date yet. He reteams with Michael Almereda, who directed him in Hamlet so many years ago. I think Chiwetel Ejiofor and Lauren Ambrose are kind of the leads of this film, but Hawk in a supporting role. Now I think we get to the really good stuff. The Kid. The only release date right now is that it's going to play in Portugal in May. I hope it follows here in the States soon after. It is, according to the plot synopsis, the story of a young boy who witnesses Billy the Kid's encounter with Sheriff Pat Garrett. Vincent D'Onofrio is in the movie. He also is directing this movie, The Kid, and it's Ethan Hawke playing the Pat Garrett role. Chris Pratt is also in it. Dane DeHaan plays Billy, and Ben Dickey, who was so good in the lead role in Blaze, also appears. And I guess the story involves this kid who reaches out to this hero, this outlaw, who he thinks is going to help him save his kidnapped sister. So I'm really excited about the kid. But Josh, for me, it would come down to the truth. Also in post-production, no release date set yet, but it seems like the latest from director Hirokazu Koreeda. It is about a reunion between a daughter and her actress mother. And the daughter is oh, I don't know, just Juliette Binoche. Her mother is, oh, I don't know, just Catherine Deneuve. And Ethan Hawke is in it as the Binoche character's husband. This whole thing plays out against the backdrop of the Deneuve character, I think, playing a role in a sci-fi picture that involves her never growing old. And she's just published an autobiography that brings a bunch of conflicts from their past up. So there's going to be this whole blurring of reality and fantasy that always so intrigues me, art and life colliding with each other. And that cast is just incredible. And then, of course, you have Coretta making his English language debut. So if I had to put my money on it, I think the one of those five that I'm going to be most excited to see and probably will ultimately have the most resonance, I think, with filmgoers will be the truth. But did any of the other ones jump out to you? You know, Hawk, I was looking up what Western I remember him from because immediately you might think, can he do that? Can in a Valley of off? Violence. Yeah, yeah. In Valley of Violence. And he was also in- Magnificent Seven. That's the other one I was thinking yep. of. So he could do that. That sounds like fun. But how could you, I mean, how could you not put your money on the truth? All right. My number two question. Will Wendy, the movie Wendy, prove that Ben Zeitlin is a true talent or expose beasts of the Southern Wild as a fluke? Because certainly it has to be a referendum, Adam. It can't be anything between those two options. I'm fine right? with that. These are either, either <laughs> all no great or all terrible. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Lindsay Schultz, listener Lindsay Schultz, made a poll comment and mentioned that she was looking forward to this one as well because of her love for Beasts of the Southern Wild, which was something of a divisive film in 2012. I was hugely in its favor. It was my number one movie of that year. 
Beast was Zeitlin's outrageously idiosyncratic debut, and then he pretty much disappeared. I mean, unless I miss something and there's nothing on IMDb, he doesn't have a credit since then. Now, from what we know about Wendy, he hasn't seemed to scale back in terms of imagination and ambition. The IMDb plot description says this. It's set on a mysterious island where aging and time have come unglued. This mythological story tells the tale of two children from different worlds fighting to maintain their grip on freedom and joy. So it didn't occur to me when I first read that, but some more digging, and Lindsay mentioned this as well, suggests that this might be a riff on the Peter Pan Neverland narrative. And indeed, if you look closer on that IMDb page, one of the characters is named Angela Darling. So we will see. Whatever it is, I have been awaiting Zeitlin's follow-up for a long time. Wendy's release date is just 2019, sometime in 2019. So yeah. we'll see. Now, you you weren't opposed to Beast. You just didn't go for it quite as much as I did, right? Right. Because we had, I remember that show we had, Michael a. Phillips Scott of the came Tribune, A.O. Scott from the New York Times. And I'm trying to remember, is was Michael the one who didn't go for it? And, yeah. And Scott I think so. liked it, I right? think A.O. Scott yeah, was with sounds... you. You guys both were big defenders of that film, and Michael and I were more mixed. And so we kind of had a little roundtable about that film. My number two question of the movie year is, will the fifth woman ever nominated for Best Director also become the sixth. And if you don't know who I'm talking about there, that's fine. Bear with me here a little bit. I'm going to build up the suspense a little. This question obviously inspired by the fact that there were no women nominated for Best Director this year, and a woman did not direct any of the films that got nominated ultimately for Best Picture. And this is unfortunate when you consider that Chloe Zhao made one of the best films of the year in The Writer. Marielle Heller's Can You Ever Forgive Me was in my top 10, in a lot of people's top 10. Deborah Granick in my top 20 for Leave No Trace could have been higher, got a lot of acclaim, did win some awards in on various circuits. 10. Yeah, in your top 10. She was overlooked. Lynn Ramsey for You Were Never Really Here. Tamara Jenkins for yeah. Private Life. Plenty of options they for were out there. <laughs> that category, and it just didn't happen, unfortunately. And... I think we might get one or two this year based on just an early glance of what's coming out. I'll get to those titles, but first, just a few others I'm going to throw out. Jennifer Kent making her follow-up to The Babadook, The Nightingale. We've already talked about Claire Denis' High Life. Here's one that wasn't on my radar at all until I started preparing for this show. Andrea Burloff directing a movie called The Kitchen, which comes out September 20th. Seems similar in some ways to Widows. It stars Elizabeth Moss, Tiffany Haddish, and Melissa McCarthy as sort of wannabe criminals. They're forced to take over their husband's mob empire in New York. It's set in the 70s, and Burloff previously wrote the movie World Trade Center and also Straight Out of Compton, so she's making her directing debut with this film. Marjan Satrapi, who did Persepolis, has a movie called Radioactive coming out, starring Anya Taylor-Joy, Rosamund Pike, and the great Simon Russell Beale from The Death of Stalin. It's a movie about Marie Curie and her husband Pierre. Dee Reese, who did Mudbound, a few years ago, has a new film coming out, The Last Thing He Wanted, based on a Joan Didion novel, Anne Hathaway, Ben Affleck, and Willem Dafoe star in that. So those are all potential contenders, but I think it could come down to these two. Marielle Heller. Maybe she'll get her due after Diary of a Teenage Girl and Can You Ever Forgive Me for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, the Mr. Rogers 
biopic that is coming out. Tom Hanks in the role as Fred Rogers. That movie is going to come out October 18th. I think it was previously called Are You My Friend? Maybe even You Are My Friend. I think they've settled on A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. And the conceit here is that Matthew Reese from The Americans plays a journalist who has to kind of begrudgingly go and interview Fred Rogers. This really happened and it ended up kind of changing his life. So it sounds a little bit cheesy, that that premise. Sounds oscar But I think it's going to be good. And it certainly, of course, with Hanks involved as well, sounds oscar If I was really going to put money on it, though, Josh, it comes out Christmas Day. I think the best female contender for a best directing nod would probably be Greta Gerwig and Little Women. She, of course, previously nominated for Lady Bird, and she was only the fifth woman to get a nod, and only one of them has won. That was Catherine Bigelow for directing The Hurt Locker in 2010. She's reteamed, Gerwig has, with her Lady Bird star, Saoirse Ronan, to adapt the classic novel. Ronan is going to start in that film with Timothy Chalamet, Emma Watson, Florence Pugh, Eliza Scanlon, who I loved in the HBO series Sharp Objects, Laura Dern, and how about Meryl Streep? rounding out that ensemble. I have never actually read Little Women, and I've actually never seen any of the adaptations of it. So I am now really eager because of Greta Gerwig's involvement. Lady Bird was my number one film of 2017. But I guess my question within a question, Josh, is what new life is Gerwig going to be able to breathe into this 150-year-old novel? How is her voice going to emerge within this adaptation. I can't wait to see. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a more Oscar-friendly picture or scenario than something like Lady Bird. So I think that's a good prediction. I really, the 1994 Little Women is really good, actually. Winona Ryder. Julian Armstrong, yeah. And Christian Bale is in that as well. Kirsten Dunst, Susan Sarandon. I like that quite a bit. So these classics, you know, you get the right people, the right mix of um, performers to play these iconic roles and a filmmaker who's invested in the material. They can make it work. I certainly have faith in Greta Gerwig to be able to do that. So our number one this year, we're doing something a little bit different with this preview, a hat tip to our friends, Matt Singer, Allison Wilmore, formerly of Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit. I think it was friend of the show, Nathaniel Myers, who maybe suggested this. He said, maybe you can find a way to work some of the best SVU categories or some of the little gimmicks they had on the show, work them into film spotting. And one of them was on their Svoovies episode that they did every year. The I awards, the Svoovies. Yeah, the awards they handed out. They would also look ahead to the coming year and they would predict what movie would be their number one film of the year. So I thought, why not go ahead and make that part of our preview? Make that our question to ourselves, looking at all of these films. What film will be the best of 2019. When we're doing our roundtable 11 months from now, you're going to utter what movie title, Josh, is your number one. So this speaks to what you brought up at the very top of this show, that our picks for this are going to be somewhat predictable because we're going to lean towards the filmmakers we love, the the concepts that generally mm-hmm. attract our attention. And I've really done this the last three years. If you look at my number one films, they've been predictable in that they come from major directors who are my personal favorites. So Wes Anderson last year with Owl Dogs, then Christopher Nolan for Dunkirk. Before that, it was the Coen's Hail Caesar. But... When I looked back further, I mean, traditionally, 
my number one films come out of nowhere. I had Ex Machina. That was Alex Garland's yeah. directorial debut at that point. We've already talked about Beasts of the Southern Wild, Winter's Bone, the experimental, experiential documentary Leviathan. <laughs> Leviathan. This is where I got to share that tweet you got. Oh, yeah. When you oh, asked, we're going to get to some more of them. <laughs> you asked listeners to predict this on Twitter just before we started to record. And uh, their, their handle is now Where Was I? Uh-huh. He suggested mine would be Leviathan 2, Revenge of the Goals. I love it. I love <laughs> Just, it. And, right. and hopefully that's coming out now. I want to jump in to point out that I did the same thing you did. I look back at my track record uh-huh. and I'm just the opposite. The last eight years, if you go back to 2011 through 14, my picks are entirely predictable. Uh-huh. I probably would have called them correctly in January. And most listeners would have as well. The Tree of Life. Terrence Malick, mm-hmm. The Master in 2012, sure. P.T. Anderson, Inside Lewin Davis, The Coen Brothers oh, in 2013, and Boyhood, yep. Richard Linklater in 2014. But then I went off script. You've a gone little crazy. Bit. The last in four your years, old age. The Big Short. Cautioned the Wind. Tower. That one I love. Lady Bird. Nice. And even if Beale Street could talk with its pedigree in Barry Jenkins, I did not have that anywhere in my top 10 or 15 most anticipated movies of the year. So I recently have been going with films that I don't think I would have called at all, which makes me then think that if I'm going to try to predict this correctly, I have to go crazy and think about the last possible movie. And you can't that do that. would be my number one. You'll never know. It's kind of impossible. If I was just going to go from my gut then, I mean, The Lion King is clearly going to be my number one no, film I, of the I year. No, I can guarantee you that that will not be. That okay. I do know. I think that's a safe bet. So what What am I going to – I mean, like I'm saying, you, you've got to go back to that predictable – for something like this, you got to throw your chances in with the stuff you think has a shot, okay. right? You can't just pull out of a hat some random title like we'll Leviathan. <laughs> so I could see a top five, my 2019 top five being comprised of us – from Jordan Peele, The Nightingale, Jennifer Kent's follow-up to The Babadook, First Cow from Kelly Reichert, Wendy from Ben Zeitlin, or Ryan Johnson's Knives Out. You got to remember Brick was my number four film of 2006. Of that group, I'm going to give the edge. And at this point, Riker? I'm completely cursing it, putting a jinx on it yeah. to First Cow. Nice yeah. pick. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way to go. It won't come out in 2019 now. I'd rather have it that than it comes out and I don't like it. But somehow I just messed it up. Anyway, on Twitter, listener Jordan Wellen, he's at Jordan Wellen, said any movie called First Cow would be on my radar. But the fact that it's directed by Kelly Reichert automatically makes it my most anticipated. This is another period piece from Reichert. It involves a cook for fur trappers in 1820s Oregon and her last foray in the historical Pacific Northwest, Meek's Cutoff. That was my number three film of 2013. It was also my number five film of the film spotting era. We did that list, which covered 2005 to 2014. Here's another encouraging aspect. The screenwriter, along with Reichert, is Jonathan Raymond, who wrote Meek's Cutoff. Now, for First Kyle, he's adapting his own novel. We'll see. I hope I didn't screw things up. But if, if I'm going to make a prediction, which is obviously predictable because you guessed it, I'm going with First Cow. Well, I think that's a fantastic pick. I love Reichert as well. I'm a little bit embarrassed, though. Maybe we need to compare our notes better. Somehow, in all the lists I look at, Andy did a great job, our PA, putting together some different questions and some title options to choose from. I didn't see that Almodovar had a new film coming out, and I did not mm. see this one from Reichert. So I didn't get to consider it. If I'm going on brand, if I'm going with the obvious picks based on how much I can't wait to see the films, well, then my number one film of the year should be Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yes. Or it should be Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. But because I have this trend 
in recent years of going with something a little bit off the beaten path, I went in search of some other titles. I did throw this out on Twitter, as you said, earlier today. We got some great responses in addition to the one about Revenge of the Gulls. Longtime listener, friend of the show, Peter Labuza, nailed me. He oh, this said, was good. He said my this number really one would good. be a documentary that premieres at Sundance that starts out on an obvious subject about a family, but then the camera turns back to the filmmaker and becomes about the nature of truth. Actually, Peter, that's the Golden Brick winner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ryan Oliver wrote in. He said... My movie would probably be Claire Denis' High Life. Yours would be Us, or if it looks like the Burton comeback, it could be Dumbo. Mine. Yes. Us or Dumbo. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Die Hard Die, that's his name or her name on Twitter, said, for Adam, if Linklater has a movie. There you go. Yeah. And for Josh, if Wes Anderson has a movie. Unfortunately not. And a listener with the name Sam B, I'm going to go with that, said, not sure for Josh, but where'd you go Bernadette? is a lock for Adam. So that's the link later. later. Yeah. That's the link later. And I did really strongly consider that that link later pick that stars Kate Blanchett might be my movie. If I go the Labuza route, Josh, the movie that's just so in my wheelhouse about art and colliding with real life and that whole thing, then the movie has to be Bergman Island. Mia Hansen Love, the filmmaker. Oh, did you see this one? That's already strong filmmaker. Your language. Yeah. She's got a film coming out called Bergman Island that's about a couple who go to Faroe Island, the island that Bergman famously lived on and made a bunch of his best films on. And they go there to write screenplays. And according to this, as the summer and their screenplays advance, the lines between reality and fiction start to blur against the backdrop of the island's wild landscape. Like they just, they wrote that in for me. (laughs) Greta Gerwig was slated to star in it. She was later replaced, but released by, by a really talented actress. Phantom Threads, Vicky Creeps. She's great. She is great. So that would be the movie. That's it, because you also own property in Iowa, known as Bergman Island. <laughs> I do. Exactly. Are there are there islands in Iowa? It's pretty no. land. I know no, it's pretty it's, landlocked. It's pretty landlocked. Lakes? You got any lakes out there? We have a lot of lakes. We have we're not we're not the land of a thousand lakes, but we've got a few okay, in good. Iowa, Josh. Ultimately, here's where I landed with an odd choice, a movie that might not have even been on your radar in your research for this show, but it also manages to be right in lockstep with Bergman Island and some of the films that do seem to be near and dear to my heart. I'm going to go with the new film from the director of Madeline's Madeline. I think it's possible that Hmm. at the end of the year, I'll be talking glowingly about Josephine Decker's Shirley. It's a biopic of sorts about the author Shirley Jackson, who gave us, among other great short stories, The Lottery. Elizabeth Moss stars in that movie as Shirley Jackson, as the author, along with Michael Stuhlbarg, fantastic actor as her husband. And it's about a couple that moves in with them to kind of start a new life. And they end up in some kind of bizarre psychodrama is the word that's used in a lot of the different descriptions I see with Jackson and her husband. So again, art and reality, blurring those lines. Decker, a really interesting filmmaker who made a movie that we were both a little bit more mixed on than others, but has some incredible flights of fancy, makes some really daring choices. Definitely. And she clearly has an eye as an artist. So that's my weird choice. I think it has to be a weird choice. I'm going to try not to be predictable this year. We'll see if that plays out. Surely is my pick. Now, how has this stupid exercise affected our experiences of these films? Right. That's what I'm worried about. (laughs) 
Are we gonna, am I going to go into first cow thinking that, well, I said this is going to be my number one. It better be that yeah. good. Yeah. And, then and now it won't live up to the and, hype. And, and surely you're going to, yeah, we just, th- this was probably a bad idea. Probably was. Those are our top five movie questions about 2019. Josh, do you have some honorable mentions? Yeah. Really quickly, Taika Waititi is back directing with something called Jojo Rabbit, and he yeah. apparently plays Hitler. Am I right? Hitler impersonator? Someone who pretends to be, pretends Hitler. To be Hitler. It sounds really wacky. Great cast. And I kind of don't want to know more about it. It's than the that. one I was going to predict would be your number one of the year. Oh, hey, possible. I am looking forward to it. Parasite, Bong Joon-ho is back. That's always exciting. This one I thought about for a possible number one pick for me, Robert Eggers. Of the Witch yeah. is back with a fantasy slash horror picture called The Lighthouse. Let's stick with horror. Ari Aster of Hereditary has another film coming right around the corner, Midsummer. And then I'm just going to throw this out there. Wine Country. It's Amy Poehler's directorial yeah. debut. I'll be there. I'll join you. We can nice. pop open a nice Merlot. There Josh. you go. What will Zombieland 2's angle be? That's what I'm wondering. I love that cast. I did enjoy that movie from Ruben Fleischer. Is Tessa Thompson Yes, and Chris Hemsworth, but mainly Tessa Thompson, going to make me actually watch a new Men in Black movie? I watched the trailer. Not strong. It's not strong, but she's so strong, I might actually go see that film. I will throw in, Josh, the question, what is the end game? Didn't love Infinity War, not caught up in the Marvel Cinematic Universe too much, but do I want to know how that's all going to play out? Yeah, I do. Of course. We'll be there. Okay. Finally, this is one that I'm lifting straight from RPA Andy. Will Teen Weepy five feet apart turn Haley Lou Richardson into the next Emma Stone or Shailene Woodley? And I like that question a lot for a lot of reasons. It comes out March 22nd. It is an adaptation of a YA novel, I believe. And look, this question isn't meant to rip on Woodley, a very talented actress. If you look at her IMDb page... Not a lot of great stuff since The Descendants in 2011 and The Spectacular Now in 2013. Certainly not the career Emma Stone has had. But the point of the question is more about the promise of Haley Lou Richardson, who's also incredible in Support the Girls and was great in Columbus and was also great in The Edge of Seventeen. Just a really talented actress. Our producer, Sam, after catching up with Support the Girls a few weeks ago, wrote on Letterboxd that it was his second encounter with Richardson, the first being Columbus, and please tell me exactly why she isn't the biggest star on the planet. She's that good, and she has that much potential. Maybe a crowd pleaser like this seems to be that kind of film will elevate her. It's a story about a 17-year-old. She plays a character named Stella who has cystic fibrosis, spends most of her time in the hospital, and she meets a guy named Will who also is suffering from CF, and they develop a bond, but obviously have certain restrictions that are put on literally their physicality, how close they can even be to each other, which gives us the title Five Feet Apart. I think it's the kind of movie that normally we would overlook. I don't know that we're going to discuss it on the show. We'll see what else is coming out the week of March 22nd, but because of Richardson's involvement, I am definitely more curious. So those are honorable mentions. We got through all of our questions. Just to close out the preview here, Josh straight listing of the movies you're most excited to see. And you've probably touched on all these titles, but if you were applying kind of a bizarre multiplex test here, you're walking into a theater and they're playing every movie that's going to come out in 2019. And over the course of that day or two days or whatever, you can only go in five doors. Yeah. You can only see five movies in 2019. What are they? I got them. Can't wait. My number five knives out. Ryan Johnson. Okay. 
Jordan Peele's Us is at four. The Nightingale from Jennifer Kent is my number three. Then Ben Zeitlin's Wendy. And to go with my answer for my number one potential film of the mm-hmm. year, First Cow from Kelly Reichert. Those okay. are the five. Really? Yeah. That's the first one. Yeah. Okay. That's why it was my most likely to be at my number one. So I'm going to go with some more conventional choices here. But if I really could only watch five movies from 2019, I think it would start at number five with Toy Story 4. I would then go hmm. to Jordan Peele's Us. Knives Out, Ryan Johnson would be my number three. And I mentioned him, The Irishman at number two and Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood at number one. Yeah. Yeah, so for sure. I'm, I'm not say, missing those two films at the top. I'm going to say my guess for you for the number one of the year is going to be The Irishman. You do. It, it's time for you. You've been wild out there running willy-nilly with these uh-huh. number one picks the last few years. It's time to come back onto the ranch okay. and be safe. Yeah, that's probably a good guess. Not mentioned anywhere in this show yet. Star Wars Episode Nine. JJ looking forward Abrams to it. Very much looking forward to it. Taking back the reins there. I am too. And I just want to throw out how much I am kind of surprisingly. I don't know how you feel. Genuinely interested in seeing it. Chapter Two. Nah. I, and I was I was just I, okay uh, on I it. But really, something about the second chapter of this. Twenty seven years later, now as adults, still dealing with this. That cast with Chastain and Hater. And others, I, I really want to see it. Chapter two. Let me know how it is. I will. <laughs> Those are, again, our top five movie questions and our most anticipated movies of 2019. We would love to hear your picks or any other feedback about the show. You can email us feedback at filmspotting.net. Over on our website, filmspotting.net, you can find 13 years of reviews, interviews, and top fives in the show archives. And if you haven't already, check out our sister show, The Next Picture Show. It's available wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want some Film Spotting merch, you can get that at filmspotting.net slash shop. And if you want to talk to Adam or I on social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter. Adam is Film Spotting. I'm Larson on Film. Also, please subscribe to the weekly Film Spotting newsletter. Sam is still doing great work churning those out. You can do that at filmspotting.net slash episodes. Out in wide release this weekend, a movie I wasn't anticipating at all. Still kind of not, despite the director. I did just discover that The Kid Who Would Be King, which is a contemporary Knights of the Roundtable adaptation, comes to us from Joe Cornish, who made a really wonderful film, Attack the Block, a few years ago. Didn't realize that myself until I'd seen the trailer four times, I think. (laughs) Serenity. This is a new thriller from my guy, writer-director Stephen Knight, who gave us Locke. This movie stars Anne Hathaway, Matthew McConaughey, and Diane Lane. So Knight, good cast there. I'm going to try to make time for Serenity, but that is not going to be a movie we talk about on next week's show. We are going to discuss the latest from M. Night Shyamalan, Josh, have you seen Glass yet? I have seen Glass. Okay, I have not. And we're going to watch that, and then we're going to go back, and we're going to talk about The Sixth Sense. It's going to be the first film in our new series, Sacred Cow Reviews, nine movies from 99. So if you haven't revisited that film in a while, join us, take a look, be part of the discussion. Can't wait to talk about both of those. Film Spotting is produced by Golden Joe Dassault and Sam Van Hogren. Without Sam and Golden Joe, this show wouldn't go. Our production assistant is Andy Mitchell. Thanks also to Candace Griffiths and the listeners of the Film Spotting Advisory Board. And special thanks to everyone at WBEZ Chicago. For more information, go to WBEZ.org. We'd also like to thank the Communication Arts Department at Trinity Christian College in Palos Heights, Illinois, which provided the recording space for this episode. Learn more at trnty.edu. 
If you enjoyed this show, please give us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. That way we can reach some new listeners. Our music this week comes from King Princess. More information is at kingprincessmusic.com. For Film Spotting, I'm Josh Larson. And I'm Adam Kempinar. Thanks for listening. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye. Film Spotting is listener supported. Join the Film Spotting family at filmspottingfamily.com and get access to ad free episodes, monthly bonus shows, our weekly newsletter, and for the first time, all in one place, the entire Film Spotting archive going back to 2005. That's at filmspottingfamily.com.